Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. This hour is sponsored by Take-Two Healthcare. And good morning, everybody out there. This is Dr. Andrew Dyer joining you live in studio today for the very first time in 2023. It's an honor and pleasure and to be just to be back with you, I should say, uh, this year, 2023. We're already off to a good start. We're five weeks in and ready to roll. We're starting to see more sunshine here in the Miami Valley, which won't really help us with our vitamin D absorption just yet. But we can look forward to a springtime and summertime where some of that becomes more possible. Today on this program, I have a couple of articles to share with you, uh, a case study. And I want you to uh, know, of course, how to contact us. I, I am Dr. Andrew Dyer from Take-Two Healthcare, a uh, clinic founded by Dr. Van Merkel. 40 years ago, probably, a little bit more than that, maybe. Uh, but you can find us on the web at take2healthcare.com. So the word T-A-K-E, the number two, and then healthcare.com. That's how you find us on the web. Our office phone number is 937-433-3241. That's how you get a hold of us at the office. If you have a question or comment to leave today on the program and you want to talk to me on air, the number to call at the studio here is 937-457-1290. I'll be happy to take your calls as we move through our program today. Uh, But I did mention a couple topics, and and I want to touch on a few things that I didn't get to last time when I was here. And while I told you last time, too, it's not the most exciting topic out there. It's just a very common problem specifically for women and specifically for aging women, is osteoporosis. And I found a great article on this topic that really kind of walks us through some of the things to consider and then some of the action plan on what to do to make it better. And so first of all, we have to kind of know and understand that while it's not exciting to talk about the potential risk of hip fracture or fracture elbow in the body... Oh, that's okay. We'll keep rolling. No problem. Um, While it's not exciting to talk about fracture risk of the hip or anywhere else in the body, ribs, other common locations in the body that may fracture if osteoporosis runs unchecked, it is the most common bone disease in the world. And if left undetected and untreated, it can cause millions of fractures as well as mortality. It typically doesn't cause pain. Consulted with a couple of chronic pain patients this week, and and as we talked, one of them was an older gentleman, and as we talked, his wife said, well, what if we do a DEXA scan on him to check for osteoporosis? I said, well, well, that'd be fine. I mean, that could be something to look at, but I don't believe it's the source for his pain in his body, but uh, maybe another good test to rule things out anyway. So in, in that relationship, if you're suffering from a high degree of pain in the body, it's probably not from osteoporosis. But and we, and we see this, this stereotypical picture of a little old lady crossing the street with her grocery cart, uh, shoulders rounded forward and, and head and neck really hunched forward with that big 
pronounced appearance of the upper thoracic spine. Yes, that is potentially osteoporotic change, but it's, it's potentially a whole lot more than that. And so what can we do about it? How do we fix it or how can we at least stop it from spreading so rampantly. The reason this was forefront in my mind is, again, this week I consulted with a 75-year-old patient. She's been a patient on and off over the last probably decade, but maybe never really grasped a hold of some of the concepts we were trying to share with her on, on diet and exercise and nutrition in terms of how to improve her bone mineral density. And she sent me over a couple of DEXA scans to look at. I, I asked her to send them to me, and when she did, the comment that her medical doctor made comparing a test she had done at age 73 two years ago to the test she had done at 75 within the last couple of months was that her bone mineral density got dramatically worse in a major way. And when I looked at the numbers, I just didn't find that to be true because the overall percent change in her bone mineral density was 2%. She went from about 25, 24, 25% bone loss to about 26, 27% bone loss in the areas they assessed on this DEXA scan. And that was over a period of two years. And now she's 75 years old. And so they've suggested some medical treatments. Uh, Prolia is one of the drugs on the table uh, for her to consider. And, and I don't necessarily have to cover this all with you today, but if you look up the Prolia side effects, they're numerous. Uh, and even one of the statements from one of the well-regarded research institutes in this country says they couldn't find that the benefits outweigh the risk with that medication, which I thought was pretty staggering uh, admission there because, one, they don't really know what the long-term effects are on immune system, skin, joints. Uh, and even one of the listed side effects under Prolia is Muscle or bone pain, pain in the arms and legs, and increased risk for hip fracture. Well, that's the very reason why that drug is recommended is to supposedly combat and work towards reducing fracture of the hip since that's the number one most common osteoporotic fracture site. So if that drug is going to make that problem more significant for some, it, it may not be the right choice. Now, what about things that we do that could help with this? And when I say things that we do, if you uh, have known much about Dr. Merkel and I and studied our, our bios on our website, we both have advanced degrees in nutrition. So yes, we're chiropractors. We're doctors of chiropractic first. And then we have over 300 hours of postgraduate training, actually quite a lot more than that, but you have to have 300 hours of postgraduate training and then pass of a national board exam to get a certification in clinical nutrition. And, and we both have that certification. So if you're listening to experts, health professionals on the radio, you might want to do a deep dive into their credentials. Find out how they are uniquely qualified to help you. And, and I hope you will do that. But uh, take2healthcare.com is our website to do that. Uh, now, balanced diet and exercise. So from that osteoporotic treatment menu, what can we do? Bone as a living tissue needs adequate nutrition. And poor diet is a risk factor for osteoporosis. So general dietary guidelines here for prevention, including eating whole foods versus processed, getting adequate protein, including a high amount of dark green leafy vegetables in your diet, and avoiding excess sugar and alcohol, as we know those tend to demineralize bone. These are all important for the maintenance of all body systems, 
Many Western diets are deficient in several of these elements and compounds necessary to build and retain a healthy skeleton. In regard to exercise and injury, the strongest single risk factor for hip fracture is falling. But it isn't often in the order that we think. It isn't that the patient falls and then breaks their hip. Commonly, it's that hip breaks and then they fall down. That is quite common. How they've decided upon that, I don't know, because they only ever see the patient after the hip is already broken. Uh, But that is what you commonly hear when you study this topic. Uh, Any exercise that improves balance and or muscle strength will reduce fall risk. In addition to high impact and strength training exercise, those place a load on the bone, causing it to increase in strength, density, and mass. This is a very simple physiological principle called Wolf's Law, where bone will form in response to mechanical stress. That's exactly the same way that we see fractures improve. So take, for example, a 10-year-old patient who breaks her leg. They re-x-ray her in four to six weeks, and they see what's called callus formation. That is evidence that the bone is actually healing and repairing at the fracture site. This is the same physiological principle that helps us make bones stronger and more dense and, and have the proper mass to them even as patients age. doesn't matter if you're 10 or 75 or even older than that. Now, we've all heard about calcium. Calcium in terms of its relationship with keeping bone mineral density strong. And the relationship of calcium consumption to bone health can be overstated, oversimplified, and even controversial. For example, in the United States... The RDA value for calcium, meaning the required daily allowance for calcium for adults, is between 800 and 1,200 milligrams per day. Some European researchers dispute this, and they suggest a practical allowance of 4 to 500 milligrams per day. Other researchers in other countries state that less than 300 milligrams per day are needed. You can see where some confu- confusion could arise here on this topic. Even the experts can't agree on how much is necessary. Increasing calcium intake is important if there's deficiency. Well, how do we know if there's deficiency? We need to test. Test in the blood, test in the hair, you can test in the urine, but there are blood markers even more specific than that for assessing fracture risk. One is called osteocalcin, It's a hormone produced by the body that will show us how thin or thick the bones could be related to hormone balance or disruption. The other ways to assess this are look at calcium in the blood, look at vitamin D in the blood, and also look at vitamin K in the blood. Since all those are necessary cofactors to help each other get better absorption. So we use a particular calcium supplement at our office, in our clinic, called calcium MCHC. So that MCHC stands for microcrystalline hydroxyapatite calcium. It is a particular version of calcium studied by Professor Dr. Robert Shangraw at the University of Maryland back in the early 90s. He sat down in his research lab and figured all these different calcium supplies on the market, all the different calcium supplements that were available uh, for over-the-counter use, he wanted to research and define which ones were best at making bone mineral density improvements. And which one do you think came out on top? The MCHC. 
So that microcrystalline hydroxyapatite calcium, it is by no mistake that that is the only calcium we house in our store. I mean, why would we use anything but the best? MCHC is the best available, best absorbed form of calcium to be used, bar none. It beats calcium citrate. It beats every other type of calcium on the market when specifically looking at bone mineral density improvements. So if you're going to take a calcium supplement to make your bones better, why not take the correct one? But how do you know how much you need? Well, the answer is quite simple. You don't until you test. Now, what about other minerals and vitamins? There are several minerals and vitamins that are needed for the skeleton, either directly as a building block or to enhance a chemical reaction necessary for bone formation or repair. Since bone is an active living tissue that constantly renews itself in a process known as remodeling, osteoclasts, with a C, osteoclasts, remove old cells from bony tissue transferring them out into the bloodstream, creating small holes. Osteoblasts fill the holes with a quote-unquote mortar of calcium, minerals, and collagen proteins. This is how the drugs designed to help treat osteoporosis work, is they stop, they stop that osteoclastic activity. And therefore, the, the bone cannot remodel and regenerate properly. That is how they appear wider and brighter on the scans, but in postmortem studies, we find that the fracture risk is still high. It sounds like we need to take a break. Is that true, Angel? Yes, we need to take a break. You've been listening to Dr. Andrew Dyer this morning. We'll be right back on the other side of the break on WHIO. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley radio station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. And we are back. Thank you very much. This is Dr. Andrew Dyer on live with you this morning. Uh, we're going to try to go out to New Carlisle and talk to Sonny here. Sonny, you're on with Dr. Dyer. Can you hear me okay? Yes, thank you. Thank uh, you for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, uh, my husband was just diagnosed with stage 4 um, melanoma okay. cancer. Okay. Yeah. And uh, they want to give him IV treatments and um, a pill for next 12 weeks and something for two years thereafter um and immunotherapy i don't know if you're familiar with that yes yes i am okay um so i was kind of wondering i don't i don't want him to have to go through a whole lot of pain and uh, you know unnecessary just you know exasperating situation sure um obviously if it can be um avoided so I, I understand, you know, natural approach to things. But um, what would you recommend or do you have any in, input that you could give me, um, suggestions? or? Yeah, for sure. And, and first of all, sorry to hear that diagnosis, but it, it may not be uh, as dire as it sounds at this moment. And, and I say that because there are a lot of good things that can be done o on an immunotherapy level as you're talking from a medical side as well as, uh, the way that we attack some of these cases is to just help get the body stronger so that it can mount a good response to these cancer cell invaders on its own. And so I, I need to know, I guess, if you could just share with me, what, what is the age? What's your husband's age? 56. 56. Okay, very, very young person here. So certainly that 
is actually a a good thing in terms of how the immune system functions. We're we're much stronger immune-wise at age 56 than we are when we get above 80 and 90. Um, So that may be quite a good feather in his cap here to to beat this and handle this in a really, really good way. Now, due to the complexity of the diagnosis, it will be difficult for me to give you any tangible things to work with today as far as just blurting out a bunch of nutrients for you guys. But one of the things that I think would absolutely be a necessary starting point and and understanding too that there's going to be far more to it than just this one nutrient that I'm about to name, but vitamin D as in dog or dire, vitamin D has to certainly be something that gets checked on him. Whether you bring him to our office and we check it or one of the medical doctors that he's working with now, they need to check that level because depending upon where he's running on that value, it could be very easy to supplement him with enough vitamin D3 to at least get some of that cancer-fighting power going on an immune system level. Mm-hmm. That, that I understand, is only just one thing. And, and anytime I'm working with patients that have a cancer diagnosis, we do a lot more than just give them one thing. But, sure. but looking at this from an overall approach of, you know, not that we're ever going to really fully understand h- how it developed to this stage at this age, but there are definitely some things that we can do now on a reactive front to say, okay, with this diagnosis that we have, how can we make things better and what can we do to give him a greater quality of life for as long as he's intended to be here? And and certainly I think some of that comes back to starting with a really thorough blood test. I mean, we, we test 56 different markers on our standard blood panel every time we see a new new nutrition patient, but looking too at some of the specific cancer markers in his body from a blood perspective, even though there's not a specific blood marker for melanoma, there are several that are closely related to skin and lung and other associated tissues that that really we need to kind of get a scoreboard evaluation on those test numbers so that we really have any kind of idea on how to move forward. But there's really a lot that could be done here in this case. And I've, I've worked with patients like this on pretty much every week since I've been in practice for the last 18 years. So I'd certainly wish you guys well and and give you the opportunity to call our office if that's what you'd like to do. But there's certainly a lot that can be done on a nutritional front here to help out your husband. Okay. Well, that's encouraging. But as far as the IV, could he hold off on that? Um, Or is that... Is that what you mean? The IV of the immunotherapy, is that what you're talking about? Well, the IV treatment, you know, I don't... And some kind of pill. I don't, and I don't know the name of the pill or the or, or what he's doing. Actually, even I, I just know, I know my aunt had, um, you know, she went through that. And um, as far as the IV treatment and the, and whatever pill, and I think, uh, and that just it was bad. Yeah, it and again, it's really tough to know without without any test results in front of us. It would be so hard to say like what what the next step or phase of treatment should look like, and and those decisions will definitely have to be made between you and your husband. But there are certainly things we can do along with those treatments or whatever you decide to to do as far as walking this treatment path. There's a variety of ways to go down that. Uh, together with some numbers in front of us because right now we're kind of just making some guesses at things and we don't want to do it that way we want to get exact and specific and and really do the best that we can to help him out right well i I just know it's all in his lymph nodes now and so it's you know yeah we got a lot of work to do and quick so give our office a call be happy to help Thank you so much for your call. We do have to take another break. This is Dr. Andrew Dyer for Take Two Healthcare on AM 1290 News 95.7 WHIO.
And we are back and rolling again. Thank you, Angel. Uh, we are going to go right out to Ed in Springfield. Ed, you're on with Dr. Dyer. How can I help you? Yes, uh, I understand that the people who collect blood are looking into uh, researching you taking blood from people with uh, questionable uh, lifestyle changes. Okay. And I, I was wondering, are those blood tests they're using adequate for that? And would you add something different, or would you add even your basic 50-plus uh, uh, panel? Uh, now, if I'm understanding you correctly, I think you're wanting to know if when you donate blood, if they scan and, and check the blood thoroughly, is that what you're wanting to know? That's that's correct, because I don't want to take blood from those if it's not going to be very safe. Oh, got it. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, to, to answer your question, they do thoroughly and absolutely a wonderful and marvelous medical technology job there to scan through the blood that is being donated before it can be accepted by anyone else. They will check it for all sorts of different um, diseases, disorders, uh, and they do a thorough job there. Now, in, in correlation with us looking at our 56 um, different markers there, yes, we could do that, but it's not a matter of doing that on the blood before it goes into you. It's a matter of looking at those markers in you, either at the current point in time or, or thereafter. And it's not really about... I mean, our testing of the 56 markers isn't really about looking at those kind of things, although we can look at those kind of what you say questionable lifestyle choices. And I think if I'm understanding you correctly, it's um, AIDS, HIV, some of the other STIs. Certainly those can be detected and tested for in the blood. Yes, that's true. But it's a matter of how do we try to get you and keep you healthy long before you ever have to deal with something like that? So I think if I understood your, your questions and comments correctly, that's, that's kind of what you want to know. But we use the Community Blood Center as a, a place to refer our patients to when they need to do a bloodletting procedure. So I say bloodletting because that's kind of the, the antique or vintage term for it in medicine. But when we find patients with high ferritin levels, we want them to actually go and donate their blood. Now, that's a whole different set of rules and technology where they actually extract that blood from our patients. The patients get billed a small disposal fee because that blood has to be tossed, not because that blood isn't good enough to go into someone else, but it's an old Ohio law that says if the patient derives a benefit from blood donation, they have to pay the disposal fee. So there are a couple different sets of rules and thoughts and equations around all of, all of what we're speaking about now, but... I think it still really, again, comes back to if you know that you're in a position of needing blood, whether you have an upcoming surgical procedure or other medical process or procedure that you're going through, you can have even specific family members of yours donate blood as long as the types match up. Um, uh, that, that would be one of the things to look at. Now, Angel just wrote me a note here. What are first types of drugs? Does that affect donated blood? Yes. Uh, great question there, too. So the follow-up to that was if, if a person donating blood has drugs in their system, does that affect donated blood? Yes, absolutely. That donated blood would fail the screening test every time. Every time. As long as it's one of the drugs that they're, that they're checking for in their evaluation uh, before giving that blood to someone else, that, that blood would fail every single time. Now, some of the drugs 
both pharmaceutical and street drugs are not as easily detected in the blood as they are in other body samples. So urine, hair, those are a couple other ways to look at uh, whether or not that person donating the blood had drug in their system at the time. But many of the other street drugs and even pharmaceutical meds can be detected in some of these screening tests done prior to blood donation, blood being put into someone else. Uh, but there's a whole process there around the medical technology of identifying what type blood the receiver has and what type blood the donator has. And depending upon which blood type you are, you can either only get blood uh, from some or only give blood to some. And there's a, there's a big, big variety on how these blood types are assessed and then how it's, it's deemed to be safe for you to receive certain types of blood. But uh, I appreciate the question. Very, very different than I'm used to answering on this program, but uh, perfectly acceptable to, to think about those kind of things. Let's jump back in for a minute to our osteoporosis topic that we were covering before we took a break for phone calls. And I was talking about vitamin D3 and, and K2 as things to assess to look at the overall bone mineral density changes that we might be able to get for someone. And when I look at the vitamin D status um, in, in someone, I want to look at overall what their vitamin D levels are in the blood first before we determine what level of supplementation they might need. And the way we do that is we do a simple blood panel. Uh, the vitamin D test is a, a separate little add-on, but it's all, always part of our standard panel anyway. And when we look at that, we want the level to be 50 or higher in someone's blood. Now, medically, they set the, the low end here uh, at 32. So if you're higher than 32, your medical doctor will be thrilled for you and they'll tell you your vitamin D is optimal. Uh, we like to do just a little bit better than that and try to get you to 50, where we also know that 75 or higher gives optimal cancer protection from vitamin D status alone. So we need to look at those levels, determine what the needs of the patient might be, and then determine whether or not they would benefit from taking 5,000 IUs per day of D3, maybe 10,000, maybe a little bit less. Uh, maybe they've been taking too much and their number is too high, then we'll suggest a little cutback on dosage. So the testing, again, becomes really, really important there. But vitamin D3 facilitates the absorption of calcium in the gut and calcium resorption in the kidneys. Vitamin D deficiency is a global program with approximately 42% of the U.S. population being deficient. Since we know sunshine is one of the main sources, but here's the trick. You always have to remember this. We, we hear this, sunshine gives us vitamin D. Sunshine gives us vitamin D. Well, they measure it naked at the equator as far as how we get optimal vitamin D absorption through the skin. And so if we're not running around anywhere near the equator and we always have clothing on and we're only getting our face and back of our hands exposed as we run from our car to the building and then back, uh, we're just not getting that much vitamin D. So that's where supplementation comes in, mainly because it's impossible to get enough vitamin D from your diet alone, to get your blood levels up to 50 or higher. And we know certain populations, uh, groups, uh, will be more deficient in vitamin D than others. Uh, but we always have to be cognizant of that fact. Even for pa patients that are obese, uh, this adds to the rates of vitamin D deficiency as vitamin D is an oil-soluble uh, nutrient, uh, fat-soluble as well, but it's incorporated into body fat. So patients with a BMI of more than 30 need two to three times more vitamin D uh, from the supplement sources as compared to those people with optimal body weight. Now, vitamin K. This one has also been demonstrated to have a synergistic effect, meaning 
it helps the body absorb D in also synthesizing that osteocalcin hormone that I talked about we can, that we can measure in the blood. So studies have used uh, vitamin K1 have both positive and negative results. However, using vitamin K2, especially the isoforms MK7, which is, again, the only form of K2 we carry in our office, is a form called MK7. It's actually vitamin K2. Uh, those consistently demonstrate positive effects on bone quality as well as the prevention of fractures. Now, what about other minerals and vitamins to consider? Magnesium induces osteoblast proliferation. Now, the osteoblasts, those are the building cells. Again, they fill those holes with the mortar of calcium, magnesium, D3, other minerals, and even collagen proteins. This magnesium induces osteoblast proliferation and acts as a cofactor needed for the activation of vitamin D25. Its deficiency is associated with reduced bone formation. In spite of its importance, up to 68% of American adults don't meet the recommended daily allowances for magnesium. And it is commonly listed as the fourth most common nutrient deficiency across the globe, across the whole planet. So for women, daily allowances on magnesium include a dose between 310 and 360 milligrams. So we can round that to 300, 350 milligrams for, for women daily. And for men, the, the requirements are a little bit higher, 400 to 420 milligrams. We have it in a dose of 125 milligram tabs. Because if we give three a day, that gives you 375. Now, approximately 50 to 60% of the total body magnesium content is accumulated in the bone. So more than half of the magnesium that's in our body is in our bone. To date, no randomized studies have evaluated the effect of magnesium in isolation on the bone. Several trials demonstrate the benefits of trace minerals, including manganese, zinc, boron, and even strontium. Given the known interdependence of nutrients, combination therapies, by design, enhance the likelihood of successful prevention and treatment. So let's just recap here and, and understand the three most common nutrient deficiencies that we like to assess in an osteoporotic patient. Vitamin D3. Check it in the blood levels first to determine dosaging requirements. Calcium. Can test it in the blood, test it in the hair as well to see if the body's holding on to enough or potentially dumping out too much. Then we set the dosage properly to usually include between 500 and 1,000 milligrams. What about magnesium? Can magnesium be effective too? Of course. And calcium, magnesium, and vitamin D3, along with K2, all need each other to be properly absorbed. Now, what about this little aside? I've never taken vitamin K2 in my life. Uh, I have tested myself for that, and my blood tests show that I don't need to supplement with it because my diet contains enough. That is true for K2. We can usually acquire enough K2 from our diet if it's broad enough in green leafy vegetables. But there's often marketing information that goes along with D3 intake to say you got to have K2 with it because if you don't, you won't get D3 absorbed. I say to that, it does, it's not true for everyone. My vitamin D levels are at 84 my vitamin K is optimal, and I don't take my D3 with K2. We have two separate forms of the nutrient at our office, and vitamin D3 will be absorbed properly if you have the necessary cofactors available. We are closing in on another break, but we're not there yet. Yeah, go ahead.
I was wondering, um, what vitamins would you recommend for someone that uh, goes to the gym? Ah, perfect. Great question. Appreciate that. Yes, another question from a caller, and she wants to know how do we, or what would we recommend for someone going to the gym? So I think your first thought there would usually be, if, if a standard nutritionist was going to answer this question, they would say protein. Protein, 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 okay? Because why? Protein helps heal and repair muscle tissue breakdown. What are we doing at the gym? We're breaking down muscle tissue. But the caveat that I will put in is protein requirements are specific and unique to each individual, what they're trying to accomplish. If you're trying to reduce body weight, then your protein intake has to come down a little bit. If you're trying to put on muscle mass, then your protein intake needs to go up a little bit. So we measure that too in the blood. And then the specific caveat again is what type of protein are we going to use? Protein types that are standardly available in most gyms are going to be whey protein isolates and soy protein based. We find in our clinical practice, those two tend to cause and contribute to a lot of gut related pathologies, food sensitivities and food allergies, most common to the soy and dairy contained in some of those protein drinks. Now, what could you use instead? A little healthier, a little cleaner. Egg white protein powder, something we carry in our office. They have it at many of the health food stores in the area too. Egg white protein powder is excellent at restoring that lost protein from the gym workout and putting that back in so the muscles can heal and repair. The average one scoop that we use from our J-Rob egg white protein powder will give about a 13, excuse me, a 30 gram protein boost in one scoop of that protein powder. So if we're looking at body weight and we want to either maintain, decrease, or increase, we need to calculate those protein requirements accordingly. Now, supplement-wise, probably the best thing here to, to look at is how do we keep our joints deflamed after a workout? How do we reduce inflammation? Best bet, in my opinion, post-workout is a nutrient called curcumin complex. In that curcumin complex, we're going to have three active ingredients, ginger, turmeric, and curcumin. With those three active ingredients, we're going to get a reduction in inflammation in the body so that we can specifically measure these things in the blood. When we look at the SED rate in the blood work, the ESR, it's a common blood test done on many medical profiles, but also done with our patients every time we see them, because that assesses overall joint inflammation. If we see that that ESR is elevated higher than 10, we're typically going to recommend somewhere between 1,500, maybe even up to 3,000 milligrams daily on the curcumin complex. Why? Because it reduces inflammation. Now, that helps the muscles and the joints. also helps the brain, the heart, the lungs, the kidneys, and the liver. So looking at some of these markers in the blood helps us again to define what the needs of the patient and requirements of the patient look like. So just kind of as an average, if, if somebody wrote me a note on our ticket system or, or called the station like they did today and said, well, what would you recommend a patient that goes to the gym? We, we have to know just a little bit more about that patient to say, okay, maybe they're on certain medications that are blocking some of their vitamin mineral absorption, or maybe their goals are not to necessarily put on more muscle mass, but to decrease, to decrease overall body weight. And I'm not saying that was this caller's idea or not, just, just kind of trying to give a broad answer that may uh, incorporate a lot of people's question and thinking on that is to look at protein requirements, Hydration status, so water, 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 huge and key importance after we're losing sweat at the gym, and then the curcumin complex. But there's a whole lot more. we got to take a break. You're listening to Dr. Andrew Dyer this morning on WHIO. 
It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. And we are rolling back through just a few more minutes here to finish up with you. Dr. Andrew Dyer again here live with you this morning. And we just did have another caller as we were in our final break segment that wanted to get the addressing uh, or get her question addressed, but didn't want to come on the air, and that's fine. She wanted to know if, as an older person with osteoporosis, if she eats right and exercises properly, if she could realign her spine. Now, because I didn't get to talk to her, I didn't get to ask any follow-up questions, but I'm going to answer it a couple different ways. From a realignment standpoint, um, exercise at the gym and eating properly isn't really going to take care of the realignment piece, but chiropractic healthcare can certainly help with that. Um, I, I consulted with a couple patients this week with that same issue, and after proper studies, either x-ray or DEXA scan analysis uh, or even CT or MRI, sometimes those imaging studies are needed to make sure that proceeding with a chiropractic adjustment is the safest and and best way to proceed. Um, so if we do our homework there and check thoroughly, then yes, the realignment piece uh, could be achieved through a variety of chiropractic manipulations. Now, chiropractic manipulation isn't going to change the bone mineral density, but the bone mineral density can be improved upon um, by taking the proper supplementation based on testing, uh, the exercise routine, and even the proper dietary uh, uh, regimen. So, yes, exercise, the strength training. So, the really on the exercise front from an osteoporosis topic, the only types of exercise that don't count towards helping with osteoporosis are bicycle riding and swimming. And the reason those two don't count is they're technically not weight-bearing exercises. Yes, we're bearing our own body weight, but if we're exercising in the pool or on a bicycle, we're not actually pounding into the pavement like we do when we walk or run or jog or hip or skip or hop is what I meant to say. Uh, but, but in those kinds of movements, if we're actually impacting our feet against the ground, then that physiological principle, Wolf's Law, takes over, and those bones begin to respond and remodel to that stress that we're putting them under. So swimming and biking don't count. They do certainly count for aerobic exercise. I mean, they will make our lungs better, our heart better, our brain better, but they will not make our skeleton better in that sense. Now, the supplementation we've talked about today uh, thoroughly, calcium, magnesium, vitamin D3, and we have just a couple more minutes to finish up, but... And just kind of looking back at the topics for today, osteoporosis being one of the main keys. I know it's not an exciting topic, but exciting sometimes doesn't matter when it's an important worldwide issue that a lot of people face. Now, if we had to go down the rabbit hole of picking which population this affects most commonly, it's thin Caucasian women that smoke Thin Caucasian women that smoke are in the highest risk group for osteoporosis. That doesn't mean if you don't fit all those categories that you won't get it. It just means that you have a higher likelihood of developing something else instead of that. But it's still a great idea as we're aging and as our bodies are uh, changing each day to get some of these things evaluated. Typically in the medical world, to establish what your bone mineral density changes look like, we don't really start assessing that until 
men or women reach age 50 or beyond. But it's, it's, it's never the wrong thing to do to look earlier than that. It's just typically when the uh, insurance model is picking up the tab for these DEXA scans, uh, they won't usually do it for someone younger than that. Now, we were talking about this this week in, in prepping for the show. My, my wife and I were having this conversation, and she said, what about being more preventative as opposed to reactive? And she said it really well. She said, if you think of your body like a car, and I know over the years, Dr. Merkel's used this analogy too. If your car needs new tires, uh, transmission flush, and brakes, and an oil change, if all you went in and, and had done was have them put a little air in the current tires, but never changed out the tires, did the transmission work, did the brakes, all that good stuff that you'll hear about in the next hour, if you never did any of that work for your car, is it going to work as well? Is it going to last for 200 or 300,000 miles if you don't care for it? We can think of our bodies in the same way. If we pour a bunch of bad food into it every day or week, and we don't take a good supplement routine that's designed for us, and we never exercise, and we sit down too much at our desk and never get up and move or stretch or work our bodies out, is our body going to work as long? Is it going to work as well? Now, I know some of these things develop over years, and, and we can't Im immediately turn back the clock on some of them, but... If you, if you think of it this way, the body didn't develop many of these conditions in an overnight sense. Even though it shows up maybe one morning or one afternoon, boom, I have this problem and now I got to go get the, it paid attention to so I can get, get it fixed. If we think of our bodies as this marvelous machine that is designed to work properly and thoroughly for maybe 95 or 105 years, depending upon what we feed it, how we take care of it, then putting in the time on a daily basis um, with the exercise, with the, everything that comes together as far as staying healthy, supplementation, good thoughts, good movement, everything that we need to do to keep our bodies on track and working well, that has to be something that we look at and think about every single day. We cannot wait until we develop the signs and symptoms of a stage four cancer or a high blood pressure or a heart attack and stroke. We cannot wait until that point in time to then start deciding, ooh, I need to live a healthier lifestyle. I need to reduce my caffeine intake, reduce my alcohol intake, get more sleep at night so that my body can heal and repair. Those are all the things that we, we look at maybe too late down the road where now we have to make a much more of a reactionary plan rather than a preventative or a proactive plan. So again, think of your body like a high-performance sports car. If you treat it well, give it good fuel, give it good rest, and pay proper attention to the warning lights before they have that permanent check engine light stay on for good, you're going to be better off, your body will last longer, and it'll work better for you. So if you like some of the topics you've heard us uh, talk about today on the radio, you can go onto our website at take2healthcare.com and listen to old radio programs. Old. They're archived, okay, on our website. You can find them there. You can find them on whio.com as well. But you can listen to archived programs. Uh, you can sort by all the different doctors in our office and listen to those those shows, and they'll ha we'll be having them sorted out by topic too. So if you want to hear our thoughts on diabetes, cancer, cognitive decline, all those different types of topics that we tend to uh, focus our time on the air on, you can find those on our website too. Uh, and and in gents, just again to kind of encourage you to take that next step, maybe now is not the time. You, maybe you don't need to call Monday morning because you're having a, a dire health care issue. But 
you will soon. Uh, I'm not predicting that for you, but it's inevitable. If you live long enough, you're going to run up against something. Remember the experts at Take-Two Healthcare when you make that call, and we'd be happy to help. You can reach us on the phone at 937-433-3241, and you can catch us here again live next Saturday morning at 11 o'clock on the big one, WHIO. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley radio station with breaking news, weather, and traffic, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.